This is the We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast, built by anglers for anglers. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast. I'm your host, Tim Trockenbrook. With me, as always, is Brian Travis. And today in studio, Newcomerstown, Ohio native Hunter Shryock coming down to the Phoenix plant to pick up his new rig. How you doing today, bud? Dude, I am doing great. Yeah. Glad to be here. It's not snowing. There you go. Up north where I'm from, snowing and everything else. So excited to get uh, the new boat, get the 2020 season underway. All right. So you drove all the way down from its newcomer's town, correct? (laughs) Newcomer's town. That's a mouthful. That is one word. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine growing up and writing that all your life. Yeah. When you learn how to write your address, you're at the top of the class, right? That's right. That's right. So how long a drive do you have to get down here? Uh, it's um, I had to drop my boat off at uh, Malone's Marine, my uh, this year's 2019 boat, and then drive down from there. So roughly, all in all, it's like 10 hours, nine and a half. Yeah, you had so, a little bit. So you're good and refreshed, you know. I'm good and refreshed. <laughs> I'm ready to go. A lot of windshield time. <laughs> That's right. Well, man, looking forward to the the next year. And and you've kind of let's go back a little bit because you haven't been doing this that long. I mean, 2012 was your first open, and that's when you were like just getting into it right yeah so i really started tournament fishing like dedicated myself to it 2012 it's when i got my first boat and then uh you know 2013 started the opens bassmaster opens and uh really wasn't until like 2015 that i actually started really taking it seriously to try to qualify obviously when you fish the opens it's like that'd be nice but to actually set out to qualify was probably 2015 it became a reality qualified in 2017 um you know fished my first elite series season 2018 so this is my sophomore season this year on 2019 mm-hmm. and now we're looking right into the window of 2020 already and um it really doesn't even feel like we stopped like i feel like we fished st Clair like three weeks ago to be honest that's crazy (laughs) well i mean eight years and you've gone from not competitively fishing at all to now you're fishing in the classic in 2020 yeah i mean that's not a traditional path that a lot of people take eight years ago you're riding a motorcycle right it it was well i i had uh yeah previously raced professional motocross and i'd i'd stopped doing that 2009 and um yeah so-called retired at an early age, <laughs> but you're, you start to become old at, you know, mid twenties, but I was like 21 going on 22, stopped that, uh, just got a job. And, um, I was really driving around in a one ton van. I was buying catalytic converters. I was buying, uh, aluminum wheels, batteries, starters, alternators, rebuild parts for, um, you know, from salvage yards and stuff and turning around and that ha- had a value that I'd resell. And I didn't want to be doing that. I knew that wasn't what I wanted to be doing, but it was a means to an end to basically buy myself a boat. Now, if you used to say, oh, yeah, Hunter, you're going to be fishing the Classic in 2020. This is your plan. You know, back when I was doing that stuff, I'd have been like, there's no way. But it was just one of them stepping stones to get, you know, from one thing to another. And, um, you know, it's, it's so weird to look back now because there are so many times you know, where I've come from in this industry, I've kind of just, you know, not only the fishing side, but the media side as well, uh, kind of got my name out there more than the fishing stuff, Mm -hmm. so to speak. So it was, um, really weird for me to go from, you know, working from that in the van, driving around all over the, you know, tri-state area basically to now I'm fishing and I pick up a GoPro and start going around filming stuff. And then that kind of became a niche of mine in the industry that was kind of missing at that point in time. Because I feel like the fishing industry has kind of been behind and I feel like I'm taking over the podcast right now. You're good. No, you're (laughs) good, dude. Hey, we had you here. I'm going to be honest. I'm kind of stuck. I'm thinking I'm sitting next to a real-life Tommy boy selling Callahan brake parts up in San Francisco, Ohio. That is exactly what it was, too. There's no doubt about it. Did you ever give the, uh, the bull and the butcher speech? I, I did not. Can no. we can we get your best impression of that? I, I probably wouldn't be a good advocate of that. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh. um, but you were your own boss doing that, right? I, I mean, was. you you started that, so that's going to be nice, I guess, as far as a, a future in fishing, where you can set your own hours and work when you need to, make money when you need to. And yep. And it was a, it was really about 
you know, how much you wanted to work is about how much money you wanted to make. If you wanted to hustle every day of the week and, and be out, um, you know, taking care of people, the, you know, the, your customers and everything else, you could, you could do it nonstop or you could, again, take off the time, which allowed me to fish, you know, and that's a huge thing with fishing. You hear a lot of people say, oh, if I didn't have to work, I would do that all the time, but that's kind of the, you there know. goes our excuse. <laughs> <laughs> that is the that really is, blowing it for us. Huh? <laughs> that is the uh, tricky side of fishing. Is you know I think you know a lot of the guys had taken that risk to to not work. You know they put themselves in that position, and I was just fortunate enough to be able to still have a job, and still go out on a limb to go fishing. And um, you know it got to the point even fishing the opens and I, me taking on uh, the media stuff that I was getting so much work. I started getting work somehow. I don't know how. Uh, I'm like, watched YouTube on how to make videos and it's just a passion that started from there. And then the next thing you know, I'm like, companies are p wanting to pay me, mm -hmm. you know, to do it. Because at the time there wasn't near as much media as what there is now. And, um, you know, it just worked out. But then it, it turned into, you know, one break, one breakthrough after another, after another. So just like a lot of blessings happened um, that I would say like 2014 to 2015, I'm not going to be able to fish next year because I don't have the money. Mm -hmm. And then something else would come along and then something else would come along. So it's kind of been like strung out this whole time, like year to year, like little breakthroughs and little happenings to, to where I'm at now. It's, I think every single person, if you talk to them, um, that fishes probably has a relatively, close story to that to where it's you know they couldn't have planned it and mm -hmm. things happened at the right time that you can't explain and um you know the breaks happened that needed to happen well that's what we've talked about even with winning a tournament stuff has to fall into place at the right time someone has to you have to have the right spot to be in in boat launch and then yeah. be the first one to your area that you may be fighting for i mean so many things have outlying factors and not to mention that fish moves like he's not just staying there waiting for you to come stick him yeah so so many things have to fall into place for you to win a tournament that's kind of I mean, guess what you're alluding to with your career so far that, that has just gotten you yeah, to it, this point. Yeah, to win a tournament, it's, um, gosh, it's so many things have to go your way. So many variables that could, you know, you look back on certain situations like, well, if this would have happened, it would have gave me this. Or, right. you know, you hit, listen, it, which I've never won a tournament. I fished a, uh, finished a couple top, I fished second is my closest I've been in a Bassmaster Open. So, um, you know, and I think, you know, alluding to that about the winning thing i think that's one thing uh for 2020 that it's probably stuck out the most for me this season that um 2017 i'd finished my first like top 12 in an open uh which was a huge deal to me and it ended up being a third place and in that year i ended up having a th another third and another second but i expected that when once i did it i was i almost expected it to happen again and again mm -hmm. and it's like you know we all talk about you know fishing and, and trying to win or everybody fishes to win but I think there's definitely something there between what actually fishing to win and winning and fishing to do well right. if that makes sense because there's definitely a lot of guys that stay consistent and and cash checks and I'm I was just wanting to be on that same level like just you know I I haven't had to be at the point where winning would put winning would actually keep me going if that makes sense. I know mm -hmm. there's a lot of guys that that in that grew up and they they had to win a tournament almost to continue on. Right. If that makes sense. And I don't feel like I was to that point, not that it would have hurt. Uh definitely would have helped, but I feel like now I almost, you know, especially after this season, I I I feel like the same in 2017 like I expect to to do better or get that sense that you want to win. Not, you get what I'm saying. Like the whole right. win, like, no, you've actually, got a, a top, you were 18 in AOI last year. You correct. expect to improve on that. Expect every year. to improve on that. And it's like that just uh, fishing to win mentality over uh, going out and getting a check, which to be honest with you, in the, you know, fishing the elites, it's, it's not easy just to go out and get a check. So, no. you know, basing your goal off of going out and doing well, doing what you can do to set yourself up is, you know, that's great and doing that. But at the same time, I can't, you know, say that I'm putting all my marbles into this is going to work or I'm going to finish last, mm -hmm. you know, and I almost feel like that's what, that's what I want to be at because I feel like it, at this point in my career, 
you know, winning would, you know, especially even the classic, like that would be, that is the ultimate goal, but I have to put myself in that, in that mind frame right. to go out there and, and actually be fishing to win. If mm-hmm. That makes sense. It makes all the sense. Now, it tell- doesn't make sense. It's clear <laughs> no, as mud. No, it makes all the sense. I mean, I think, I think anybody that fishes and then people that have a competitive nature to them, you know, I think they can definitely relate to that, you know, and, and I think a lot of people just like, football, basketball, baseball, any professional sport, a lot of people sit back at home on the couch and they watch and, you know, they think they can do it better. But at the end of the day, no matter where somebody finishes in professional fishing, just like anything else, they made it to the pro level. Right. They're pretty doggone good. They can catch them. Everybody can catch them. They can catch them. So (laughs) it it falls back to those other factors that that Tim's alluding to, that there's a bunch of things that have to line up. Right. Yep. And I think we've talked to some guys too, and and that mentality of fishing to get a check, Mm-hmm. more times than not, you fall short of that. Mm-hmm. Man, I got to have 15 a day, I'm going to get a check, and you're going to be coming in with 13 and a half. Yep. And when you get to that point where you're not worried about making that check and just focusing on that top 50, and now I can stop focusing on what am I going to need for top 10. That's, and if you fall short, well, then you're in the top 25. Yep. That's I mean, exactly what I'm talking about. And, and Well, I'm, I mean, I can write your press for you and stuff. I, mean, I only said it in about 30 seconds. So yeah, I, mean, I, know, I got it I down took, pat. I took it all the way around the ballpark on that one. So I apologize to all the listeners. But. Man, you just taking a couple laps around the motocross track. So That's right. Now, how did you even get in from, I mean, motocross and bass fishing do not seem like they go together. They don't. Okay. They do, they do but they don't. It's, I can think some of the the backside of a pro motocross is a lot like coming up in professional fishing as far as trying to get on with factory deals, trying to get on with sponsors, trying to you know make it to the next event. But how do you jump from I'm done biking, now I'm going to go catch bass? Yeah, and really, it wasn't a straight transition. Like I was more once I quit racing, I knew I just didn't want to keep getting hurt. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, my brother had, had been fishing and he had a bunch of early success and I'm like, well, I'll try that. And then as soon as I fished my first Thursday night tournament with about seven boats, I caught one 14 inch bass. That was a keeper size. And uh, I f- think we finished third place and I was fishing with my little brother at the time. And ever since then I was hooked because it was the same competitiveness. So, mm-hmm. um, across that lot, you know, there's that linear that, you know, the competitive side to fishing and everything uh, and also just the travel and like you said obtaining sponsorships and mm-hmm. um more or less just the game it's it's a big game really it's uh it's a fun game to play you don't get hurt you either you uh get a hook in your hand or you know worse it yeah. could be a boat wreck but we won't talk about no that. no we'll talk about that your shoulder may blow out yeah, at 70 but that's i mean you you're not have, yeah you don't you're not constantly being sidelined by stuff that i did in racing so i was definitely intrigued by that and um, just the competitive side of it is probably the the biggest thing that pulled me into it. Now, are there three Shryock boys? There is, yep, three. There's Chandler, my youngest brother. I think he is 25 now. And my oldest brother, Fletcher, he is 34. Mm-hmm. So growing up with three, I grew up with two <laughs> brothers, so competitiveness. Yes. I mean, we'd race to clear the dishes. Yeah. Who can do it quicker? Or my mom used it as like who can chop more wood for the fireplace. And like she would end up with two rickets of wood and one of us would be happy and the other two would be upset about it. But oh, she's smart. Yeah. Oh, she was she's a very smart lady. Cross she actually country. is a big fan of yours from the twenty four seven or the I'm sorry, the twenty seven series. The twenty that was the first yeah. My mom actually that. watched it and then watched everyone after that. <laughs> I, we watched so one cool. at the house one time. I was like, "Mom, you got you got to see this. This is a, you know explain the uh, the opens and how to get to the elites." And yeah, after uh, you had that one in Florida was the one I think we watched at the house. Uh, was that Harris Chain? Harris Chain. Yeah, that was the first episode. And you had a couple <laughs> good ones on bed. Yep. I mean, that was sight fishing tournament. Yeah. Right, right, what I love to do and um, it, everything aligned there. So it was that was a special deal because too it was like the first episode for the 27 series so it all kind of worked out that it started off with a bang and it wasn't a a dud was (laughs) that a distraction to film the entire year trying to make it to the elites and then still try to produce content it was um more just understanding the process of it Mm -hmm. um just like you guys are starting the podcast stuff. So I kind of... I don't know. We may hear this later. We've been doing this a long time. You have been doing it. Dude, (laughs) it's professional. It's legit. Coming from a guy that does media or has done media stuff, um, yeah, you got it dialed in. But it's it's, you just try to find that uh, 
that process for it. You know, that's yeah. probably the biggest thing was, you know, when do I film around the tournament and when do I get my GoPro where now it's like second nature. It's like you have the camera ready. It's da, 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 da. And, uh, you just keep going. Like you never skip a beat. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> going on that, you, the YouTube series and stuff like that, do you feel like that's definitely expanded the fan base and, and potentially got some people watching like Miss Kay, Tim's mom, you know, wonderful lady, but, as far as I know, I don't think she grew up watching ESPN with you on Saturdays. No. You know, she so, would take me to the lake, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, you got somebody engaged right there that is not really into bass fishing other than her son fishing a little bit. So, do you think you expanded that horizon for some people? Yeah, I mean, fortunately, we live in a time where you know so much social media and content can be put out there, and I think it was uh, the timing of doing the series, um, and a, lot, a couple other guys were just now starting it too. It was it was cool to showcase you know the backside kind of, of bass fishing that everything that goes on and I think too just going through the opens it was something relatable mm -hmm. you know so it wasn't like you're taking a look at the top you know Kevin Van Dam and yeah of course he's won eighty four classics you know he's the best in the world mm -hmm. you know but you were relatable I to was that. more relatable in a sense that you know they could go sign up for the open they mm -hmm. could be that co angler with me which was really neat because it's like I had so many messages and so you know how to get into it how to fish the opens uh, or you know lower level BFL stuff whatever it was because they could see that through me which was you know really inspiring to me that you know. I, I kind of helped start, you know, these people wanting to go fish at their local levels and wanting to make it up through because you could actually see it happen. Now, the name of your production company is 496? 496 Films. So that came from my racing number. How do you get those racing numbers? Like, So, yeah, that was an, um, a national number that you, you're given when you qualify through AMA, which is American Motorcycle Association, and when you race professional motocross or supercross, uh, they give you a pro, I, I forget what it's called now, to be honest with you, a pro number, basically. Mm -hmm. And if you finish within like a top 20 in points, I think you get a double digit number. So I could have been like a 65 or something if I would have been top 20 in points, which I was nowhere near top 20 in points. But I did get lapped by Ricky Carmichael and James Stewart in the same event <laughs> when I was supposed to be graduating from high school in 2007. So, <laughs> so you skipped the graduation to go race? My mom's a school teacher. I skipped graduation for my first ever professional race, High Point, Pennsylvania, 2007, and got lapped by Ricky Carmichael and James Stewart, which are nice. both retired now. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I was supposed to be... So did you go to prom? I did go to prom. Okay. Yep. Uh -huh. <laughs> so if I wanted to be a pro motocross, could I be like, what, you started a thousand? I mean, is it, is it one through 999? Is that how the numbers come Yeah, out? I think they select the number for you, though. Mm, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> yeah, I was I'm a dub deuce 22, so that's a, I'm going to have to have that. You're going to have to come in top 20 in points then, buddy. <laughs> I think they send you a card, and it's the last three digits on your card. Okay. So it's nothing special. But so there's no, me. yeah, right, I mean, right. you did it. So right. that was your number. That was my number for a couple of years. So that was what held true. I didn't know what to put for, you know, I'm like, ah, four, nine, six. No one's going to watch this stuff anyhow. Yeah. So mm -hmm. whatever, this is what it is. And then it turns out to be way more than what I expected it to be. Now with that YouTube, um, I mean, does it take, I mean, you, you're self-taught, but what, what was the process to learn it? I mean, did you pick it up relatively quickly? Was it just something you were interested in and, we're like, man, this is kind of easy and cool. And I, I mean, I captured this moment and this moment and almost like catching a fish in a, in a hole or something. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, like I said, I just genuinely liked doing it. And then for the fact that I could record stuff from a GoPro, which at the time the GoPros were like the coolest thing out. Like you could film it and get your fish catch, take pictures. So to me, it was just really interesting to be able to learn how to edit the stuff because I'd taken a media class back in high school, but we was editing like the VCR tapes. That sounds so bad. Be kind, please rewind. <laughs> I know. I graduated in 2007 from high school, and we were editing off of the cassette tapes. Dang, I graduated in 01, and we were working DVDs, so yeah. See? Yeah. I, I was going out with a big camera and stuff, so I had a little bit of previous knowledge, but everything else was just sitting there on a computer like a nerd typing away mm -hmm. <laughs> watching youtube videos on on how to do stuff so do, would anybody you know obviously you're racing in high school so mm -hmm. people obviously knew you raced would anybody that you graduated with would they have thought you would go down a path of professional fishing 
I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. <laughs> Yet alone anybody else. Right. <laughs> Missing now, graduation, motocross, and right. now I'm talking to a classic qualifier. Now, my brother, <laughs> Fletcher, he would have, because we have DVDs of him, and it's called Fishing with Fletch. He had his own TV show. And I filmed him when I was a little kid. I would film him. I was seven, he was 10, and he would talk about Roland Martin. He would talk about the flying lure, and he all kinds of, dude, I could sit, we could sit here and pull it up and watch an hour of it. Him talking really? about Are they it. on YouTube? They're not on YouTube. I, I haven't that would be some good I would stuff. like to see those. Was he like at a desk with a little coat and tie? Or was it? In, at the coffee table in the living yeah. room. He was pitching, flipping and pitching, giving lessons on it, talking about cool. the old um, power worms and how, yeah. the, <laughs> how the scent makes a difference. And, did did uh, he buy any of the uh, infomercial banjo minnows? Dude, he had, uh, he may have. But there was, dude, it was so funny. He had, what was the lure from Roland? Tor, is it the torpedo? No. I don't remember Roland's. I remember uh, Bill Dance's Dancing Eel. It was a crankbait with a worm tail. It was so funny, though, because he had got that box of lures. It was like in a box. I think it was a torpedo. Something. Maybe not. But he got this box of lures, and then he did that show, and he called, and I, I hate to say this because him and Roland are, like, good friends, but he's like, that Roland Martin, and he's trying to talk like Bill Dance. He's like, oh, he's a liar. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you can't make it up. Like, this is a 10-year-old kid talking about <laughs> the fishing right, lure. we got to figure out what this lure is. I'm going to look it up here. The flying lure. I think that's what it is. The flying lure? That may have been. But it was just, it was so comical to see that then. And um, and he had even made a sponsor, or he made a commercial for Spiderwire at the time. Um, all about spider wire line, and and now that's his the helicopter lure. Helicopter lure. That's it. And he, I like, found it on six as seen on TV gimmick fishing lures. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd like to see what else is on this list here. We've got the banjo minnow came up, the helicopter lure, the flying lure. There was a flying lure. There's uh, a couple of them. The mighty bite fishing lure system. The walking worm. And the la- oh the laser lure I remember the laser lure I I remember that one too it lights up red means it's uh it's bleeding and you're gonna catch more fish <laughs> <laughs> see I think more people would have thought he would have been the one but he he got away from it he was racing I was racing and then uh, we came full circle back to it another so what, what about Chandler's he do any any he he did crazy uh, sports he set um, most of all the high school football records at the high school for football. Nice. Yep. So he was a wide receiver for a uh, newcomer sound football team. Yep. And, uh, but he was smart. He was the one that went to college and got an engineering degree and now has a good job. And, uh, he's, he's doing that whole bit. So he's a smarter one. So <laughs> what's, what's the mascot? Um, you it remember? is a uh, Trojan. So newcomers town Trojan. Trojan. That's a, man, that's yeah. a big one. You didn't know that? I hate to be the announcer for that, you know? <laughs> You go a lot of different ways. <laughs> what about your parents? Did they uh, were they supportive of the fishing? I mean, or motocross even? Were they? Yeah, they drove, I mean, drove the trailer. Yep, had the bikes in it. Yep. So we did a lot of you know family time. Obviously, when we're growing up, just traveling to the races and doing all of that bit. And they took us everywhere. Mom took care of us at the hospital. You know, Dad would always uh, get. I want to say this though. They didn't do everything for us. They 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 let it be possible, mm-hmm. and um, I think that's one thing I want to you know thank my we always thank them enough because you know we've seen a lot of kids that grew up racing that their parents did everything and they was really successful racing. But the bad thing about racing is is there's only a couple guys that end up coming out of it being successful, being able to make a living from it. So once some kids finally get done, like you know reached teenager. They didn't work a lot. They didn't put the work into it, so to speak. And I felt like they just kind of went down a bad path, uh, being set up that way. The the parents giving them everything, and um, so they gave you the opportunities. They gave me, the, yeah, they gave but us they the opportunities. But they didn't give you, yeah. like, here's the roadmap, here's money, here's everything. Yep. I mean, so you appreciate it when you have success. In Absolutely, that. it's just one of them things, and we, we laugh about it because one of our sayings. I'm actually going to try to start promoting this now. Is figure it out. That was that was my yeah. dad's. That was my dad's. We could probably all relate to that. Yep. When mm-hmm. it's like you need, you want to do something, and I remember being a kid, 
12 years old. We was going to go racing the next day at a YZ80 uh, dirt bike, and uh, third gear went out of it, and it would continue to go out of it. Well, we didn't have enough money, enough money to go buy a new bike or transmission, and so we had third gear ready, and I would have to pull the motor, split the cases, drop that new gear in with the dog tooth, whatever, changes the gear. And I did all that when I was 12 and 13 years old. And my dad never touched it. He wouldn't know how to take it apart. And mm -hmm. he just said, figure it out. And so within three and a half hours, I'd have the bike torn apart and put back together and running so I could go right. racing the next day. Yeah. <laughs> and, but his motto, or I wouldn't say his motto, but his thing that he always said was figure it out. So we, we still run with that today. And my wife, pretty much um, despises that phrase. <laughs> now I say that to her, and she does not appreciate that too much. I can imagine that not going over well <laughs> no. at all. Now, you guys did, uh, so you did get married this last year? We did get married, yeah. Now, did she come on the road with you at all? Because you, you got the camper, so you do the yep. camping thing? Yeah, so we got the, the truck camper, so she can kind of come and go as she pleases, which mm -hmm. is uh, good for her because she's definitely a homebody and, you know, I, I'm not going to take that away from her and put put her out on the road all the time, especially if I'm out on the water, because it becomes a really big lifestyle change if no one's around and I'm I'm going fishing all day and she's just chilling trying to figure out something to do. So she's usually just figure it out. Yeah, just exactly. <laughs> so she she does she has her own business doing makeup and uh, she does massage uh, therapy as well. So she's super busy with that. So she usually only comes during the tournaments and uh, she knows how important that is to be able to help support me and she cooks me food and does all kinds of stuff that I would never think to do and I'd probably be scrambling eating mm -hmm. Wendy's at right. 11 o'clock at night after tying up all my tackles. Right. <laughs> what, what's your favorite meal she cooks for you while you're on the road? Dude, anything she cooks is good. I'm not picky by no means. So if I just get a home-cooked meal, which is usually what we're going to get in the camper, so... Uh, we had the Traeger, little portable Traeger with us that you can smoke whatever on the road, and it's it's good no matter what. <laughs> do, you, do you guys camp with anybody else, or you kind of fly solo at the campground? Uh, most of the time, we, as a group, there's like a select, or there's only usually a select group of campgrounds in the area, and then we all know, you know, within the Bass community, we all know which is the best one, so we all wind up at the same campground, yeah. basically. So I think at the start of the season, or really the end of the year, uh, the ladies all get together, and they all start scheduling the following season's That's campground mm -hmm. stuff that I would be doing the week before the event, basically. I'd be calling to see if there's any campground spots <laughs> left, and right. they wouldn't. And so I would be lost again without her. So <laughs> I remember getting lost actually following you into a campground this year. I was supposed to go meet up with Clint, and y'all just got done with your meeting down there at Gunnersville. Um, and I follow, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving the meeting. And we were on the phone and we were like passing all the same stuff. And I was behind a Lance camper dually with a Phoenix. Couldn't see the wrap, couldn't see anything. It was just up ahead of me. And I follow you and you pull it out. And I guess you were at your brother's place down there. Yep. Uh, what's that? Blue Heron. Blue Heron. And I uh, called Clint. I'm like, I'm here, man. And he's like, they're not. And I was actually at your campsite, so I had to turn around and, and go back up the hill. Didn't even stop and say hi. Didn't <laughs> well, even stop and say hi. I mean, hi. I was like, I don't even know if he <laughs> thinks I was following him or something. So, I mean, um, I remember the, that, though. The truck camper, That's how, how do you like that? You know, it's... it's um, They're roomy. Like, you don't think they are, but there's plenty of room. And now, with two people, it may get a little tighter, you know, over yeah, nine months. But. I think the biggest thing is just bringing along only what you need to have. That's mm -hmm. probably been, been the biggest thing for us is just bring what you need, which you always bring extra, and I always bring extra tackle and tote worms all over the country that I never open. But um, that's a big thing with the camper. Like, we can go. I don't have to have two people driving. You know, yeah, that's got to be really nice. The double towing is – I don't want to have her on the road by herself. So we can jump in together, we can go, you know, and it's just a trade-off, you know, at the end of the day, it's a trade-off. You probably still spend the same amount of money mm -hmm. doing that, maybe even more than what you would staying in a hotel or Airbnb, but I don't sleep well when I get yeah. to places that I'm not familiar <laughs> with. So it's definitely a convenience factor to be able to pull up, even to go stop at a truck stop, you know, on your way to the event, you know, traveling, you can I'm done for the night, jump up there and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. So it's uh 
you're always, you know, t tearing stuff down, putting stuff up, you know, and you're the last one to usually leave to get to the next event. But at the same time, um, I feel like that's my home no matter where I go. It's just the convenience. Mm -hmm. oh, that's awesome. Um, now, you guys just got back from your honeymoon not too long ago? We did. We Where'd y'all go? We went to St. Lucia. I've never been. How was it? It was great. We had, a, we had a blast. Um, I'd say the biggest thing was just getting used to the schedule of mm -hmm. everything because it's like I'm used to you, you're so used to going in and paying for something. Like yeah. how awkward do you feel? You get up from a dinner and you're just walk out. <laughs> <laughs> Did really great, thank you, but I can't pay you. <laughs> I remember coming back from our honeymoon and I left Waffle House twice without paying. <laughs> you did not. No, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> Nobody left Waffle House without some uh, SD cards, did you? Yeah. He's a all right. So I have this buddy, and we play pranks on each other. And he saw my truck and boat at Waffle House, and I was heading down to Wheeler, and so he stopped and took a, one of my spinning rods off my deck and all my SD cards. And so I got in my boat, and I'm like. I have no mapping. I mean, I have, everything's gone. Did and you notice it right away or when you got No, I ride? noticed it when I got to the lake. <laughs> so I called Brian when I got off, and I was, like, mad. And, and this isn't the first time I've had, like, I was at Gunnersville one time, and they stole a topwater box out of the boat. That's all they took. It's my topwater box. You must have had some good topwater. They were biting <laughs> at some point. but So I called him, and I was mad, and I was like, dude, I can't believe this happened again. And then three days later, my buddy, he lives four houses down, came by and said, hey, I found your rod and SD cards in, in the parking lot at Waffle House. Just wanted to bring them back to you. <laughs> <laughs> my gosh. So see, I always wonder that though. I'm like like I'm pretty paranoid about leaving my stuff out like that. So but I haven't heard too many times of guys getting their stuff stolen. I know this year there was some stuff. Yeah. There's one at Gunnersville this year. Um Oh yeah, right along the road. Mm -hmm. There's like six guys staying there. Uh and that wasn't far from where you were at. It's it just Brad? up from Watley? Yeah. That yeah. it was their their group. Um they were just up from Waterfront. Yep. And actually Literally uh, 200 yards on the right side of the road was Seth and Chris Grove right. and, and the Canadians. Right there at Waterfront. Um, but, yeah, I think three of them got hit that night. And the, the funniest part is you have to understand his hang-up with Waffle House. He will go no matter what. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. we've it, gone duck hunting, and he's like, hey, uh, thinking about getting up at 2 in the morning so I can get to Waffle House and get back before we go. <laughs> you want to go? Like, no, do not wake me up at 2 in the morning. You know? It's just one of those ritual things. I love it. Dude, uh, you can't beat a Waffle House. It's no. hard to beat. It's hard to beat. It's one of my favorite things in the morning. It just like I don't feel like I went fishing or duck hunting if I didn't go to Waffle House. That's right. It just starts the whole day off. Get a free Diet Coke for the road. I'm good. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a uh, no. It's perfect. Um, but St. Lucia, did you guys do any fishing down there? No fishing. No, we sat our butts in the sand the whole time. Would your wife have been mad if you went fishing? No, I no. think I, she actually wanted to do stuff, but I'm like. I really didn't want to go off and do any excursions. Um, you know, us owning and running boats. I didn't yeah. really want to go jump on with the, the captain. It didn't look like you really knew what was going on. Don't know and if that motor's going to make it very far. <laughs> they were drinking a lot of rum and punch on that boat. So I was like, uh, we'll stay right here. Now, does your wife like to fish at all? She does. does yeah, she? she likes it a lot, actually. And when, we first, when I first got her into fishing, she was... Um, uh, all about it and she learned how to cast a bait caster and i set her up with all that stuff and now she's to the point that she'll fish until she catches one or two and then when she does it's like all right i got it out of my system i'm done <laughs> yeah my, my wife likes to go when uh we have a couple of schools marked and she can catch them catch them for 45 minutes and then she's good yes we tie an inner tube to the back of the power pole and let her float back there on the channel and that's yeah, awesome. we're all good but uh <laughs> What did she think when you said, hey, I, I mean, when did you guys meet? How long ago? Oh, gosh, it would have been 2014. So you said, hey, I'm, I'm trying to be a professional bass fisherman. What did she say? She laughed. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she did. That would be um, most people's reaction, though, right? <laughs> like, because if you haven't been around it or grown up with it, oh, yeah. you may not try even know that. Try explaining that to someone. Mm -hmm. You can make money fishing <laughs> and then the next thing is oh i wish i could do that you know but, no, but uh, i gotta work and <laughs> figure it out yeah just figure it out just figure it out but yeah she i i mean it for her whole family really was you know what what are you doing type of thing and a lot of explaining just as far as how everything works and uh, how fishing works in general you know they didn't know you know, with five fish and calling and the weights and how the weights accumulate over the days. So, mm -hmm. uh, and then qualifying for the Bassmaster Open or the, 
for the elites through the opens, uh, that whole process. But they're super, super good people, super supportive. So, and actually, that's it was right before everything started to take off, uh, really, with my fishing and video stuff. It was mm-hmm. right, right when I met her. So, she's been my good luck charm. Absolutely. Well, that's good. Got to have one of those and hold on to it. Um, talking about fishing, though, let's get back to you. I mean, you have been on the elites two years, had a heck of a year last year. Um, and you had, I mean, it looked like you had not a sophomore slump, but you had a really big growth period from your rookie season to, to last year. I had a big jump in AOY. Did you do anything different preparing for the 19th season? Did it fit your, you know, style better? I think, I think the biggest thing for me this past season was I just fished more. Mm-hmm. Like flat out, like bottom line, I just fished more because we talked a lot about the media and everything. And uh, really, that's what that and fishing is what kept me going with all with uh, money wise, you know, just having enough revenue to continue to do this. And after my first season on the Bassmaster Elite Series, I cashed one check. I finished 72nd place in AOI uh, out of 107 or eight guys. So it's pretty horrible you know season and it makes you know it humbles you really quickly and so I sat there and looked at what I did and when you start putting in the hours of how much time I spent doing other stuff I'm like right there proof's mm-hmm. in the pudding you know you can't you can't go out, out and fish against the best in the world and I'm still trying to catch up to those yeah because you I mean you've only got seven years and you got guys your age that have been doing it 20 right yeah and you're you're trying to catch up to just knowledge wise, like bodies of water and being able to see scenarios. And that's the biggest thing with, with fishing is been there, done that type of thing. That's, it's no reason why Rick Clun won St. John's river this year. And he's 108 years old. I love Rick to death, Mm -hmm. but I don't know how he does it, but he's got so much knowledge. He's seen every situation and you got to think he started, he's done this for how long and he's adapted late sixties, early seventies. I mean, he's, He's, a, he's been around since the beginning. He's adapted to all this technology and all this stuff and how it works. Um, but it's it's fascinating. So I'm here I am trying to catch guys like that. I'm competing against those guys, but yet I'm not putting in I, I didn't get to I didn't fish as much as what I needed to. And so this past year, like that's all I focused on is when I had the chance, uh, I and I even took um, you know, less media work purposefully. So I had more time to bet. I banked on doing better fishing, basically. Mm-hmm. So I took a basically a pay decrease from the media and doing less and banked on that. I, that would help me fishing. And, and, and it really paid off and, and it will pay off in the future. Even the stuff that didn't pay off this year, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, you know, e- even for uh, Gunnersville, my, my brother lives in Gunnersville now. And so preparing for the classic, I've literally lived at his house for month, month and a half. And all I've done is just fished on Gunnersville, mm-hmm. just for the sake of not only for the classic, but Gunnersville is one of the best, you know, places to fish in the country. You can do everything there that you're going to do anywhere else in the country. So, um, you know, hopefully that pays off. But yeah, to go all the way around the ballpark again. That was the biggest thing for me this year. Well, I mean, it, no, it definitely it showed success. And I know this year there was a little bit of difference that everybody got a check. But if you look at your season this year compared to only getting paid in the top 50, mm-hmm. you only would have missed two checks. Correct. I mean, that's consistent. Yeah, definitely a lot more consistent. And just, like I said, the time on the water, when it comes down to those days where it's like you know it's not your day type of thing, um, just managing and being able to put – you know, some fish in the boat, going and, and scrapping what you're doing. Just go figure out the moment right then to put fish in the boat. Worry about it tomorrow. You know, survive today, worry about tomorrow. And that was kind of a big thing, you know, especially early in the season. I had like a half half decent day one day, but then I'd have a really good day or vice versa. Um, and then really at the end of the season, it started turning into a decent day and then a better day and then it or, or whatever, like actually getting better throughout the tournament, uh, which is always good because you're learning as the tournament goes on. Right. right. Um, not relying on past history, not relying on, you know, what I did in practice. Just go fishing. Mm-hmm. It's been the biggest thing for me is put it all aside. I mean, you can take take guys like Swindle, Ike, Van Dam. They're all just 
they're so good, you can put them out there with a day of practice. They're going to go catch fish, mm -hmm. period. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm just trying to catch them with knowledge-wise, knowledge, knowledge -wise, so just have to keep fishing. Yep. So what's a, what's a day of practice look like for you? When you show up, got the camper done, you're getting ready, I mean, is it more fishing? Is it more looking? Depends on what it is. Okay. So if I'm pre-fishing, kind of, well, I'll take that back. Say like Gunnersville, I've literally been just fishing. Mm -hmm. I just go out. I'm going to go fish this part of the lake, yeah. and I go fishing. Because there's so much stuff that could, is going to change between now and oh, the classic that I just want to go fishing. I want to be familiar with where I'm at. And, uh, you know, and that's what I do. I just go fishing. I try, I try to really not to even think about a lot of those things that could be for the classic. Um, but in a typical pre-fishing mode, you know, I'm going to spend a lot of time looking, a little, little bit of time fishing. It depends really on the time of the year. You know, someplace like Chick on Chickamauga, you could find a group of fish, you know, right before the cutoff and them fish could still be there. Or you could find a group and you go back and waste a day of practice trying to do the mm -hmm. same thing. But, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it all depends really. But, uh, in the off season, I just really like to just go, go somewhere that's got fish in it, like a lot of fish that you can just tear them up <laughs> and try a bunch of, bunch of things to get it out of my system and learn new things and, um, you know, be done with it. Cause a lot of times we don't get to do that throughout the course of the year. You go from an event to I'm going to go look at Eufaula, to another event, to I'm going to go look at this place, to another event. So you don't really get a lot of time to put the trolling motor down and fish and just mm -hmm. catch them. So um, that's what I've been trying to do lately. Just Are you daylight to dark? Daylight to dark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe not so much daylight. <laughs> maybe not so much day. I might sleep in till 8 or 9, especially when it's cold as it has been in the mornings, but definitely till dark. What about practice days? you daylight to dark then? Oh, yeah. That, that's when it gets silly because you're getting like four or five hours of sleep going yeah. mm -hmm. going Aaron Martin's mode on him. So <laughs> actually, he gets like two. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's got that run after he gets everything retied. So. I stayed next to him at St. Lawrence River. I don't know how he does it. He was, he was literally out in his camper, his truck camper like me. He'd be out in his boat, rigging tackle. The, the night before, even after day one, he'd be out there until like 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Every night. I've got to have some sleep. I can't. <laughs> I might could do it for one night. I could not do it. Uh, and I'll be quite honest. I don't know how you guys do it anyway. I mean, just back to back to back days, you know, long days, coming back home, rigging up tackle, getting ready for the next day. And then, then when you guys have back-to-backs, I mean, you just turn around and hit the road and go catch the next one. Yep. I, I don't know how you guys do it. <clears throat> I actually enjoy the not, – not that I really enjoy the back-to-backs, but I enjoy the fact of the competitive side of the back-to-backs because, like, just what you're saying, it does take a lot as far as preparation-wise to be ready for that second event. I bet. Because, I, you know, me doing the opens and having to do back-to-backs then, I just knew how many times I was unprepared – and not ready and not uh, to have everything set for that next event that I pretty much know there's going to be 20 or 30 guys that's going to be caught off guard, you know, when going to that next event. You know, last year we went from St. John's River staring at them in two foot of water sight fishing or catching them like Rick did with a spinnerbait mm -hmm. to, um, now I can't think of the Lanier. Name. Lake Lanier. Yep. And it's 40, 45 degrees out and you're, you know, and, 30, 40 feet of water catching spotted bass. Yeah. Two so, totally different styles, totally two different, different sets of rods. I mean, tackle. Yeah, spinning. You Yeah, you went from braided line or, you know, 25-pound fluoro to, you know, spinning tackle, <laughs> five-pound test. Yep. <laughs> Lanier was a good one, though. I, I enjoyed watching that. I mean, I grew up there, so that's one of my – I mean, I'm not good at it, but I like that lake. I've, I've always enjoyed that. I wish we had some bluebacks in, uh, in Tim's Ford here just to uh, – to get some um, jumbos, well, our, we got a good smallmouth, but I guess they would do better with blue bags. It's a really fun lake to fish, not on a tournament. <laughs> <laughs> my first, I had my my parents didn't weren't big into bass fishing. My mom, I mean, she likes you now, but uh, <laughs> she, so they came. I had uh, I don't know, it was a high school. I entered as a, it was in high school, and it was just a local Lake Lanier tournament. I didn't know anything. I was like, but I've got a hundred bucks I'm putting in. My mom came to the way and I had one stupid, like 13 inch spot and I waited in. She's like, 
I thought everybody was supposed to have five fish. Oh, brutal. <laughs> You're like, I know, Mom. <laughs> I said, Mom, I'm just going to figure it out. You got to figure it out. Son, you better figure it out. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, do your parents come come to see uh, weigh-ins ever when it's close? Or? Top tens. Top tens. <laughs> <laughs> if I get inside the top ten, they'll come. No, I did finish uh, top ten at like 10 killer this year, but um, it was right. I, was, I knew I was going to be on the bubble and they had watched Bass Track, so they knew that it was going to be close. And usually in them close situations, there's always someone that comes in with a bigger yep. bag mm-hmm. that's going to bump you out. So I'm like, you know, they're in Ohio, so the odds of them getting to Oklahoma to even do anything, I'm like, don't worry about coming, yeah. you know, which I don't think they was going to. <laughs> now, off the record, do you, do you lie on Bass Track or you try to be – pretty consistent yeah off the record I don't, oh yeah sorry we're, we're we're doing a podcast but uh, we, we'll what is it out there put it this way i'm i'm not going to go above it okay you know so could, i mean in, and in you're the heat, the heat of, the moment, of the dang competition right. yeah it's two pounder okay it may yeah. be a two and a half it but, may be a two and a quarter two and a half right uh, and the biggest thing is like when you actually catch you know them a little bit better quality and it's like a three to four pounder and that's when the weights you typically get a little bit off so it, it, yeah. those tournaments where you get you know, a bunch of four pound smallmouth, three and a half, you know, it, it, but you don't really know no, unless you no. weigh them, right. you know, at a tournament that I weigh them, I'll, I'll tell them, you know, if I'm weighing every single one, you know, I'll tell them right then. Um, but I don't purposely, you know, come in with eight pounds on bass track and throw up 15 <laughs> pounds on the board. <laughs> yep. There's quite a few of them that do that anymore. though. <laughs> well, sometimes you just got stuff to yourself and I mean, you guys are doing a job, right? I mean, this That's is right. your living. That's right. I mean, we all enjoy bass track. It's how we can keep up during the day. But yeah. if you've got less pressure around you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, it's easier for you to do your job. So that's, totally that's, get that. Yeah, that's one thing with, um, with put, if you catch them early and, and then it is a day three situation and you just so happen to jump up there, well, you're kind of jeopardizing what you could be doing or the area that you're, That's you're right. fishing by, by doing that. So, but we're not allowed to tell them that they can't put it in. There. Right. Right. So we so can't really, let me ask you about that. That kind of goes into what I would consider strategy mm-hmm. a little bit. Is there ever a point in a day on any given tournament, let's say you, you caught them pretty good that morning and you feel good about the five you've got in the live well, is there a point in the day where you say, you know what, I'm going to shut it down for the day and I'm going to go look for tomorrow? Or do you keep mm-hmm. grinding trying to, to get a better five? How do you work that? Yeah, that's probably that's like the best memories of me fishing yeah. is when that actually gets to happen. Well, tell us about <laughs> it because we don't know that. <laughs> yeah, we don't know what that's like. Brian and I are right up to the last second <laughs> yeah. throwing everything we can to hopefully pull one out of that next tree. He's sitting there on back of the trailer down. He's sitting there throwing one at the dock at the ramp you know, to get, <laughs> trying to get one. Man, it's it's uh yeah. Well, in them situations, it's like you you know the number that you needed to hit. Yeah, you know. But I think my biggest thing, going back to the whole winning factor, is knowing how to win, knowing how to win a fishing tournament, um, when to let off the gas, when to stay on it. You know, I think a lot of guys. Well, I know me personally, I've let off the gas too early. Yeah. Like I let, I've done it where I felt like, oh man, I I got it. Not not got the tournament, but I got what I needed. And I think there's, you know, a group of guys that's really, really good at knowing how to win. You know, at the, I think at this level, there's a lot of guys that know, or there's a, there's a group of guys that really know how to win, and there's a lot of guys that just don't know how to win. And the more I keep fishing, the more I keep fishing tournaments, the more I realize is how much is between your ears. Like, you can have all the best equipment. You can have all the best knowledge or, or not so much knowledge, but, uh, baits and, you know, did all this stuff for your tackle. But at the end of the day, there's so many little fine, minute adjustments that separate 50th from first or mm-hmm. fifth to 70th. Like there's, it, it's not a lot. And it really comes down to your mental aspect for, of winning. Like, you know, making those little adjustments, turning left when your gut's just said, I'm going to go left, I'm going to flip that lay down, and you catch a five, and then the next day you do something a little bit different, and the next thing you know, you're in contention to win it, and they just capitalize on it. But hopefully I get to that point. That's like we talked about at the beginning. That's the goal this uh, next next year is to really focus on, you know, getting my head right and going out with intentions of, you know, trying to focus, like you're saying, Tim, on the 
top tens, the top fives, stuff like that. And if it all else fails, you still have a good finish. Right. You still got points to uh, salvage the year for sure. And speaking of that, you're making the classic this year. How pumped are you for for the classic? I I don't know if it's still it still really had, when I watch stuff about the classic, it like gives me goosebumps mm-hmm. to know like oh shoot yeah this this is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said. I don't know how many times I've dreamt, like legitimately had dreams of winning the classic. So I'm trying to pull the whole Takahiro Amori. That's what we're trying to, but not for, I mean, yeah, it's when he won the classic, mm-hmm. the yeah. whole thing. So I've visually already won it like at least five or six times in my dreams. That's awesome. It's a, it's a really, really awkward thing to wake up from too. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're like, oh my gosh. But uh, Look over and that trophy's not there. Yeah. <laughs> But no, it's uh, I'm I'm really excited for it, and to be at a place like Gunnersville, I really think it's going to be probably the the most dramatic classic that anybody's seen in a long time. Just if you look at the past year and how events have been won, there's been several that's been from behind, and then you take into the account that Gunnersville is Gunnersville. You got a lot of locals out there. You got a lot of pressure. Um, so it's going to be, you know, a really interesting event, especially when you add in March on the Tennessee river with 30 pound bags, like any Mm -hmm. given day. So, (laughs) and and the temperature is going to play a lot too. Oh yeah. So it's going to be, but I, I still think the beginning of March on that place, it's going to be wide open. Even if it's cold, it's, it's going to be nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Have you got a walkout song picked? We've asked everybody who's qualified. You got one picked yet? I don't have one picked yet. I've thought about it, but I don't have one. So in your dream, it you just skipped right through the walkthrough, got the trophy, and oh yeah, it, okay. the walkthrough wasn't no. It was all <laughs> about it was all about the day three and like visual like visualizing. I've I've done it. I mean, I still even even driving down here, I try to prepare myself of media of, and I know this sounds stupid. I probably shouldn't even be saying this on a podcast. But you try to prepare yourself for success. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's not like, but in your mind, because I think that's that's one thing that we talked, or my brother talked about, that, you know, it's like you're, you surprise yourself. Like you shouldn't be surprised to do well. Yeah. It should be expected. So when you expect something, it's a whole different aspect you expect to do well. And so I'm expecting to have that weight on your shoulders. Like you're going out day three. How are you going to be? Are you going to be up all night doing your time? No. We're going to go to work on day three and just, you know, the walkout song is just, uh, that's second. Well, there's our that's difference there. Cause <laughs> me and Brian have been like, man, we get to ride around the, the stadium one time and get out. I mean, we may have two fish and mom say you may need five, but I didn't even think <laughs> about day three. I'm just like, wait, I got to be here. That'd be pretty cool. We're going to have an awesome walkout song for sure. <laughs> Hours, hours of scouring old albums. And You're planning day three. I'm planning my walkout song for 40 years from now when it may finally happen. I have some songs in mind, but it's, yeah, I haven't, I haven't put a finger on it yet, so... Well, man, you're picking up the new rig, uh, 21 PHX, uh, and that's something you've always stuck with. Is it... I mean, you fish, I guess, I mean, Ohio, what do you got? Erie. Yep. Is it big yep. water? Is that what kind of led you into that model? Yeah, and to me, like, it's... It's the bigger model, but it's not really that big. Right, to me. right. Like it's it's to me that's a, the most comfortable boat I've ever got in, I've ever ridden in was that boat, and that was my first Phoenix that I ever purchased. That was in 2017, qualified for the Bassmaster Elite Series. There's got to be a correlation. Yep, and not for me and Brian, <laughs> but for you, it works. And the the thing about it is the deck space, and everybody knows the Phoenix. the The storage is all there. But the other thing is just knowing where it came from, knowing that I don't have to worry about stuff when I'm out on the water. Like this past season, I didn't go to the service yard. Not one time. The only time we was at the service yard was to have um, some updates to my graphs. Mm-hmm. You know, So when you have that peace of mind out of a boat that can d- go and do 75, 76 miles an hour, mm-hmm. I have no excuses of getting beat to a spot. I don't have, you know, don't have to worry about breaking down, which is in the past has always been, you know, you're dealing with little things here and there, you know, repairing stuff. That's all been gone. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, for me, I'm like, this is my boat. I know it inside and out now. I know how to to, to run it up and down any river. And uh, I love everything about it. So that's, you know, the biggest thing for me is the reliability of the boat. And so to get it again, you know, 
I, if I was to get another one, I, I may get the 20 mm-hmm. if I was to get another, but, but I haven't ridden in it. Uh, I'm just so comfortable with the, the 21 PHX that you know, I'm going to stick with that as long as you guys keep making it. How do you, how do you lay out your boat tackle rods and all that? How do you organize everything in the, in the 21 PHX? I put a lot of stuff in it. <laughs> 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 I put more in it than what I should, but, um, you know, obviously the left-hand side, all my rods, um, you know, and I try, I, one thing that I do do differently, um, may, maybe than other people is I'll empty my boat out before the actual tournament starts. Okay. So the, I'll have my boat fully loaded, you know, I'll have the PHX loaded down with every plastic, every hard bait that I think I'm going to use. And then I literally have a tote that, um, I, I'll throw all my tackle into that. I'm not, I know I'm not going to use. So I'll, I'll get it all sorted the night before, and I'll probably take out 50, 60, 70 pounds of tackle that I'm not using, and I'll just get out that plas- those plastics, whatever. And um, you know that, I think that makes a big difference. Another thing that I'm doing is going to lithiums, mm-hmm. and you know that, that should help. I'm, I'm excited for that to be able to run those um, you know, just to help weight-wise or whatever, but you can't complain when the boat does 76. Right. 76 miles an hour, straight out the box. Mm-hmm. No, you can't complain with that. <laughs> well, and then the other thing, too, I mean, you got to spend some time with us this summer. Um, came down, we did a couple of videos and stuff about the Phoenix, and you kind of got a – I mean, I know you've been in one for a couple of years, but really all of us here fish. I mean, Brian and I may not do it very well, but we fish. And uh, that kind of gives us some some idea on this boat and, and all of our boats about some fisherman features, uh, whether it's – needing a tool holder here or having a place. I mean, you guys can't use a net, but having a place to store a net out of the way. Um, those fishermen features that, I mean, if you are in a company with people who don't fish, I don't think you can get get those. No. And that that was another big, big reason, you know, I love the Phoenix is that it's everything designed for an angler. Like every all the switches and stuff, they're not something that's going to go bad. They're all this placement of the tools I'm hitting stuff on the table, making noises. <laughs> um, but yeah, all that stuff is catered to us anglers. So when you get in it, it's, it makes a lot of sense on where everything's at. Super simple and basic, and you know it's it's easy. Right. And that's that's the cool thing about it. Uh, the slam latches. They're nice, know, aren't they? Yeah. Oh my oh, god. I love mine. Uh, How are yours, man? I got them. I like them. Oh, yeah. That's but, right. You did. Yeah. yeah. You got them this year. I got them this year, but I think we got a new phrase. So simple. Even Hunter can do it. You know? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> we just came up with coin. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Figure it out. So simple. Hunter can do it. And you should have had five fish. And the other, <laughs> the other thing, too, is like you said, I was here for the, the, the factory I visited and everything and got to see how the hall was made. And that was like for me to be able to see the reasoning why my boat handles the way that it does. And I've, you know, I've owned, I don't know how many different brands of boats, but when I run across like chop water and rough water and I can trim my boat up and you don't feel that jarring, you know, mm-hmm. bah, 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 all the time. And then they go, Oh, well this is the reinforced hull. This mm-hmm. is why it's like, it's much denser. Oh, wow. Didn't know that. You know what I mean? Like right. it's super cool to see. And now when I'm skipping across the lake and I sit a look over at someone else, but I'm sitting there just heads not moving, everything's solid. And I'm like, yep, my hall's better than yours. It's <laughs> 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 probably not the best way to say it, but it's true. In my, in my, in my opinion, that's, you know, that's so cool to see where that came from. Yeah. No, it's definitely, it's, um, I mean, Greg and Gary, I mean, I wish I was here in the earlier days, but, uh, getting to be around it now, it's, uh, it's amazing to see what they thought of back then. That's still translating to boats now. It's uh, it's impressive for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, well, man, I know we've kept you uh, probably longer than you wanted to hang out in the room with well, us. But well, before you let him off too easy, I do have one other question. This is just kind of going back. It's nothing special, but it is something I'd like to get your take on because you talked earlier um, about how much of being a competitor and winning is between the ears, and and I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think. Um, I, I'm not going to take the philosophy. Some people are born to win and some aren't. I don't think that's the case, but I do think it's a mentality. I mm-hmm. think winning is a mentality. Um, so one of the things I always wonder about when you're out fishing professionally, when you have a really bad event that happens while you're on the water, how do you recover? So let's say you're n- fish number five and you dump a five pounder right at the rub rail, you know, trying to boat flip. How do you recover from that and pick up and finish the day strong instead of letting that ruin your day? 
it's that, that's tough. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that, those situations, and that's going to determine that, you know, how you rebound from that. And, uh, one of the things that always sticks out to me, um, and this was, uh, I think said by someone else, but when Gerald was, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was Gerald who said it, he was talking about Kevin. He'd lost like two, four or five pounders in the classic or something came off at the boat and he looked up at the camera and said, that doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he, it, it, it probably phased him, but he just he kept going, you know. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, you gotta you gotta keep doing what you're doing. And um, there, this season, it, really the last four events, there's been on every single event that I did well in those last four, it was last minute cast, last minute on day two I caught this fish that put me into the day three, and then I so it was like no matter what, no matter how the day goes. My, my deal is, and I used to get strung out like 10 o'clock. Oh my gosh, that's not working out. No, now I'm just that much closer to catching them. That's right. I, oh, I haven't caught them yet. It's 11 o'clock. Well, I need to go do something different because I'm not, you know, I haven't lost the day. Yep. I just, you know, I'm that much closer to mm-hmm. figuring out how to put the five fish in the boat. In the boat. So uh, I think that's probably my biggest thing is just going, you know, you're going to catch them. Just when? Yep. When am I going to catch him? I think believing in yourself. Kind Belie- of false. You yeah. have to believe in yourself. And that's the, the mentality of winning. Uh, just fishing in general is mental. It's 99% mental and having the, you know, the confidence to fish that way the, you know, the whole day yeah. that you're going to do it. That's what's crazy. When you were just talking about that one fish here or catching one at the last minute, how, I mean, a lot of the guys we've talked to and, and even go back before our you know, podcast or whatnot, Guys remember the one or two fish throughout the year that could have been a difference between making the classic and not. And that just goes to show how good, I mean, professional fishing is. Mm-hmm. Is it's You could be two fish away from a stellar year, stellar season, going to the classic to working the expo, you know, yep. rebounding and having to come back and compose yourself. I mean, two yeah. fish here, yeah, one fish there. I mean, it's guaranteed there is guys that's talking about angler of the year. They're talking about a top 10 in AOI, you know, could have gone either way mm-hmm. to the top 50 being in the classic. So every one of them slots mm-hmm. was, you know, merely one or two instances. Yeah, especially especially yeah. instances like that. If, if you're in a tournament where that one fish would have bumped you a few more spots, other guys you're, you're banking with in the AOI aren't doing very well in that tournament. Yep. You know, you could really made up some ground. Oh, there's, I, I think there's three or four tournaments that I caught a fish within the last five minutes of pulling the trolling motor up. Like you only had five minutes of fish and I catch a fish and I ride in and get inside the top, uh, whatever is it? 35 or mm-hmm. 40. Make that day three. Yeah. Make that day three. Had I not ca- caught that fish, I don't make the day three. Awesome. But you know, running up to that point, you're running like a madman. Or oh, at yeah. least I, I run like a madman. So it's like, had I not been running like a madman, do I catch that fish? Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, in a way, you're you're hustling. I should right. say, you know what I mean. You're up and down, up and down, up and down, uh, throwing the trolling motor back up, and and really that got me to the point to catch that fish with five minutes to go to make day three to, to move be, a couple more points exactly. up. Exactly, it's that, and you get that extra day on the water. That so. close, and so when people say it's like, oh, you know, you, yeah, how much you know, does it involve, you know, running around and, and being in shape or, or whatever that is. It's, it's more the mentality that you have to, you know, get from A to B and do everything. So you have that, give yourself the opportunity to do it. Right. it. It means you got to make every cast count too. I mean, you really cannot take one cast off because it could be the difference between day three and going home early. The best in the business, Andy Montgomery, Kevin, look at them all. They can put their bait by more fish in a day than what I can. You know, then what we all can, right? Mm-hmm. They can mm-hmm. do it better than anybody else in the world. And if you can make that many presentations in a day's time, you're going to catch fish. Yeah. They're just to the point that they know that. And then, you know, and like I said, going back to know, having to know that, that you, you know, are going to catch those fish. You just got to keep going through your motions, go, going through your rotations of stuff and figure out what they want to eat. But you also have to be able to, you know, they're in the strike zone 100% of the time and they're just, firing away mm-hmm. <laughs> you do that for eight hours yeah. they're going to catch fish that's right i don't care where they're at oh it's calculated i've heard kevin talk about uh, 
the amount of time it takes to reel in a bait to be able to make a calculated decision of how many casts he needs to make it. I mean, it's a there's a science that you get it broken down to. And he, get, they did, somebody did that study at one point about how many calories he burns on a cast and how yep. many casts he makes a day and how many calories. How many, he, how many yards of line yes. is he reeling in? Yes. I mean, it's not rocket science. If you can take and reel in, you know, how many – 500 football fields well i hope you run across a bass by then right. if not you're probably on the delaware river <laughs> the delaware or, or you're in the boat with me on a wednesday nighter no <laughs> it could be either one but yeah there's definitely a, a science to the the run and gun type of deal and you know he's got it figured out he's yeah. had it figured oh, he does. out he does well man um like I said, we do appreciate you being here. We've kept you longer than you probably wanted to be no, here. No, I've ran around the ballpark too many times. <laughs> <laughs> Done figuring it out. <laughs> no, look, uh, good luck next year. Uh, Thank we you. wish you the best. Hopefully we figure out the phone call deal, which we I think we had a breakthrough today. Um, I'm not going to say it works, but I think we've got a breakthrough. So hopefully we get you on the phone. Awesome. Um, and uh, good luck at the classic. No. We'll be uh, Brian and I are gonna. We got some uh, fake backstage passes, so we will be trying to get back there because uh, that's the only time we're gonna be up there on the stage is uh, if we sneak in. So. Yeah, don't don't tell anybody they're fake yet. They're gonna oh, yeah, be pretty yeah. legit. Well, we're gonna air this after the classic, so <laughs> those, those are fake. <laughs> but no, thanks for coming, man, and uh, well, thank uh, you wish guys. you the best this year. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. L- love the setup and uh, look forward to hearing more from it. So. Oh, excellent. Awesome. <laughs>